Well, we are so glad that you've decided to join us and uh, on this Easter weekend. If you're worshiping with us online, maybe you're back in the chapel, maybe you're at Crossroads West or you're up in the student loft, some of our overflow areas, I wanna welcome you. We are so glad that you have uh, chosen part of your day to spend with us. We're, we're really glad you're here, as, uh, as we've said. Now, I know that if you haven't attended church very much or this is your first time ever, you're probably a little bit nervous right now because you think, I, I'm not all that, I'm not all that religious. Well, just relax, hang around here long enough because you'll realize we aren't all that religious either, okay? Uh, we, we want you to just chill out and uh, enjoy your experience with us today. Now, now, Easter really is one of our biggest weekends throughout the entire year. Now, for us pastors, it, it's kind of like our Super Bowl, okay? Uh, Easter's like the NCAA tournament, the championship, or, or for us Louisville fans, Easter's like the NIT, Okay. <laughs> It's our big, big year, our big, uh, our, our big weekend of the year. And it's when we celebrate and look back at the one event that, that changed everything. All right, Jesus coming back to life and crashing his funeral. Now, whether you know it or not, you, you come to the table today, you come to church today, you, you listen today online with some preconceived notions and beliefs about Jesus. I mean, when I say Jesus, something comes to mind, a version of Jesus pops up in your head. And, and the reality is whenever you stopped going to church, whatever age that is, your, your version of Jesus stopped growing as well. All right, now let, let me give you an example of this. Maybe you stopped attending church back when you were in middle school. Okay, so at that at moment in your life, Jesus was communicated to you as, as your friend, as your, as your buddy. He's gonna help you make some good choices, right? All right, he, he's gonna tell you to hang out with, with this group of friends, but, but to avoid this crowd, there's a right and, and wrong way. Don't give in to peer pressure, right? Don't listen to certain music. And, and if you do, take those CDs, throw them out, put them in the fire. I mean, that, that's, that's kind of the Jesus that's been framed in your mind whenever you were in middle school. And, and so then you, you left the church for whatever reason, or you kept maturing and life went on, maybe you got married, now you have kids, and, and when you look back, Jesus is only a small part of your past, and you've gone through some stuff recently. I mean, you, you've walked through some pretty hard times, some painful circumstances. Maybe you even got a lot of questions and doubts about this whole faith thing, and, and so you think to yourself, Jesus, you, you, really, you really can't have any kind of impact on what I'm walking through right now. Why? Well, because the Jesus that, that has been formed in your mind from your past is not strong enough, right? I mean, he, he can't handle your guilt. He can't handle your shame, your failures, your, your questions, right? Why? Because maybe for you in your mind, Jesus, he's just this nice guy still hanging on a flannel graph, right? And so why in the world would, would Jesus or, or this whole thing of faith have any, any bearing, any weight on, on what it is that I'm going through today? Now, you need to know that at the end of my talk, uh, I'm gonna challenge you and call you to become a Christian, to choose to believe that, that you know what, in spite of questions, that, that this resurrection thing actually happened and, and it has the potential to change everything in my life today. So uh, I'm gonna call you to become a Christian in spite of the fact that you might know some, okay? <laughs> in spite of the fact that maybe your wife or your husband's a Christian, in spite of the fact that your supervisor, your boss is a Christian, or, or maybe in spite of the fact that, that in your past, a professor totally destroyed the logic of faith in your mind, and in spite of the fact that the God has maybe disappointed you, has remained silent at some point in your life, and, and so you, you've got some real issues maybe. Now, what we're gonna look at today is a story that really not only challenges some of the versions of Jesus a lot of us walk in here with, but, 
we're really gonna see the implications of the resurrection, how what happened 2,000 years ago has the potential to change everything in our life today. And so if you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and turn to the book of John, okay? If you don't have a Bible, it's not on your phone or anything, there should be one near you, either in front of you, uh, that, black back, that black book or, or on the seat below you. Uh, John can be found towards the back of your Bibles. It goes like this, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, all right? As you're turning there, understand that John was, it's kind of like a biography about Jesus, all right? John, John was a close friend of Jesus. He, he walked with Jesus. He, he knew him really well. He was one of his best friends. And, and so uh, what John did was he, he made a detailed account of what Christ did, who he really was, so that everyone would come to believe, to realize that, that what he did can change everything in our life today. Now, another writer in scripture, a guy by the name of James, was actually the brother of Jesus, all right? He came to this point where he realized, okay, my brother really was God. Now, James, okay, who wrote a book in the Bible, is perhaps Perhaps the best evidence we have that Jesus really was who he said he was. Why is that? Well, let me just throw this out there. What would it take for your brother to convince you that he was God? <laughs> right? Crashing his own funeral, that might do it. Okay? So James said, yeah, he, my brother really was it. In spite of the fact he irritated the heck out of me when I was in middle school or uh, little, whatever. All right, so John, we're gonna pick up in chapter 21 and understand that this is after Easter morning. Jesus has already been put to death. He's already come back to life. And so Jesus is on his comeback tour, making all these appearances to his followers and, and friends. And, and we pick up right in verse one of chapter 21 and, and look, at this, look at this story we read. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples, his followers, his friends. They were right by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, John said. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus. Anybody like that name? You want that name? <laughs> All right, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish. It's five o'clock somewhere. I've had enough. I'm ready to, to head out on my bass boat and catch some fish. And so that's what Simon Peter told them. And they said, All right, we'll go with you. You've got a couple seats for us. And so they went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. All right, they, they caught nothing. There was nothing to show for the fact that they had been out all night fishing. They returned to the dock totally empty-handed. I mean, how, how embarrassing was this? It's hard for us to imagine the, the depth of disappointment that Simon Peter was experiencing in, in this moment. Here's why. Fishing was his life before he met Jesus. I mean, it, it was his passion. It, it was his favorite pastime. Being a professional fisherman was actually how he supported his family and I don't know exactly how it happened, but I imagine that, that he got to this point where he was just so tired of going through the, the routine swing of things and he was tired of just not making a difference. He felt like, man, I've been created for something more. There's just this emptiness inside me. And, and that's precisely when we read that Jesus came walking along the beach and Peter was looking for something better and he was willing to try something different. And that's why we're told that, that Peter willingly dropped all of his fishing equipment, left his nets and boat behind to follow Jesus. All right, so Peter was, was just like us. I don't think of some superhero who was tapped into something special, something different, something supernatural. No, he, he was just like you and me. He knew that at the end of the day that there was something broken inside of him. He felt like at times I, I don't measure up and and you know, the, the truth is, you, you don't need me to stand up here and tell you that something's just not right inside you. All right, something is broken, and, and that's not only true in our world, which is really obvious, but, 
but something's not right within each of us. It's why we sometimes feel empty or why we work hard for respect or love or acceptance or approval. It's why we always want more, but then once we actually get it, we end up just wanting more of it. And so we're just, it's like we're chasing after the wind. You ever felt like that? By show fans, how many of you have uh, seen that new movie, The Greatest Showman? Anybody? Okay, several of us, yeah. Um, my wife drugged me to see it about two months ago, and my kids have been singing all the songs from that movie ever since. It's obnoxious, okay? If you want to start a support group for those who have seen this movie, young parents, just join me up front afterwards, okay? We'll start something and get something going, all right? Me too, right? So it, right halfway through the movie, okay, one of the main characters is, is a girl by the name of Jenny Lind, and she's this really famous singer. She's got this angelic voice. She's beautiful. And, and every time she, she throws a concert and she sings in an opera hall or something, she, it's a sellout crowd. She's got fame. She's got popularity. She's got what everybody wants. And so from an appearance standpoint, she's got it all together. She's arrived. Well, in one scene, she gets really vulnerable. She opens up with one of the other main characters, B.T. Barnum, and, and here's what she said. See if you can identify with this. She said, you know, I was born out of wedlock and, and that brought shame upon my family and life always manages to remind me that I don't deserve a place in this world. And then she said, and that leaves a hole that no ovation can ever fill. You ever felt like that before? What, what's that ovation that you think is gonna fill, but you end up walking away dissatisfied? What is that for you? Now back to our story, I, I think it's safe to assume that um, Simon Peter was running after meaning and purpose and significance in his life. It's why he went out fishing all night because he thought, at least I know that I'm good at this. At least I can taste success for a little bit once again. But John said he came back empty handed, didn't catch a thing, okay? And so when he returned to the dock that morning empty handed, it symbolized, it represented the amount of failure and disappointment he was experiencing at this chapter of his life. You see, right after Jesus was arrested, Simon Peter disowned and, and totally turned his back on Jesus three different times. Now, what makes this worse is the fact that just a few hours before, okay, just a few hours before he promised Jesus, hey, I'm never gonna do that. I'm always gonna be by your side. I'm always committed. You can count on me. He said this at dinner with some of the other followers and friends of Jesus. And, and so he was really staking his reputation on it. Yet what we find out is just a few hours later, when Jesus needed him most, he, he couldn't count on him. The pressure was just too much and he gave in and said, no, I, I don't know Jesus. I, he, he's not a friend of mine. And, and so I just imagine that his Peter is, is out fishing at night, that he's just rehearsing what happened over and over again in his mind. It's replaying. He, he can't get away from it. No matter how much he tries to suppress it, no matter how much he tries to deny it or, or justify it, it just keeps replaying over and over and over again. You see, what Simon Peter was experiencing right here was what a lot of us walk in here today that defines some of our past and it's regret, right? If only, if only I had actually been, been a man of integrity and kept my word. If only I, I wouldn't have been a coward. If only I would have just said, yeah, Jesus is my friend. If, if only, if only, if only. You have your list. I mean, if only, if only I could have one more conversation with him. If only I would have seen the warning signs sooner. If, if only I didn't have that drink and then drive home and get pulled over, get a DUI. If only I didn't have that affair. If, if only I wouldn't have worked so hard when the kids were younger and I would have take, 
advantage more of when they were, when they were home. And if only, if only, if only. Have you been there before? Do you know what it's like to actually experience regret, to, to look back and think, man, if I could just do that over again, if I could just somehow rewind time and, and maybe I wouldn't feel so plagued and enslaved to disappointment and a sense of failure. You see, I think one of the reasons why we take failure and disappointment so personal is because our culture defines success based upon our worth and value, okay? So we find our identity and worth based upon uh, our success, how put together we are, how good we are, how much respect or likes we can get. And so as we scroll through Facebook or Instagram, we're really only seeing the best versions of people, right? I mean, we're only seeing their highlight reel throughout their day. We aren't seeing their lower moments. We aren't seeing the moments when they fail or our followers are disappointed, right? I mean, nobody posts pictures of that. And nobody, nobody puts their failures out there so that they can be ridiculed. No, we, we, only put, we only put our successes out there because we're concerned about our reputation. I'll never forget, um, a couple years ago, before my wife and I moved here, we, we moved here from Dallas, Texas, and uh, we had just moved to Dallas, Texas, okay, at this point in time when the story takes place, and uh, I'm serving as a pastor at a church down in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I'm preaching on a Saturday evening. I'm late leaving the house, okay, and so I'm driving to the church, and, and I'm driving down this particular road where, where the speed limit should have been much higher than it really was. <laughs> You're thinking, I've heard this story before. <laughs> nope, it's a different one. <laughs> I've got a lot of them, trust me. <laughs> that well is deep, all right? And so I'm driving down the road, speeding. I didn't see a police officer. He flips on his lights, pulls up right behind me, pulls me over, gives me a ticket. Well, come to find out, when I give him my driver's license, he says, Mr. Garcia, do you know that your license is expired? Not only that, but it's from another state. We had just moved there. Oh, I didn't know that. He said, go to the BMV as soon as you can and uh, get this thing renewed so that you can have an official Texas state license. And so I put this off as much as I possibly can because nobody wants to go to the BMV, right? I mean, if you don't believe hell exists, you've never been to the BMV. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. That's right. I mean, God's presence dwells everywhere on this earth except the BMV. You ever met a happy person at the BMV? No, right? Happy camper. And so I'm waiting at the BMV for about three hours or so. And finally, the lady says, Mr. Garcia calls my number. I walk up with all my paperwork to get my driver's license. And, and she takes one look at it and says, oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, is there a warrant out for my arrest? I mean, what's going on here, you know? <clears throat> she said, your, your license is out of date. It's from a di different state. Yeah, I know that. That's why I'm here, okay? And she said, this license is so far expired, I can't renew your license. In fact, you're gonna have to go through driving school all over again just to verify that you can drive. I'm like, are you kidding me? That wasn't even the worst thing that she had to tell me. She said, the news gets worse. She said, it's illegal from this point on for you to drive on any road in the state of Texas. Do you know how humiliating it was for two weeks to have my wife drive me to and from work and to different meetings and lunch appointments and breakfast? I mean, it was, I felt like I was back in sophomore year of high school again when my mom would take me different places. She'd drive on, I mean, it was just weird, right? I mean, it was just awkward. And, and so finally I, I go through driving school and the day comes for me to take my driving test to prove to, you know, the authorities that 
I can somewhat drive, all right? And so uh, I, I get into the government vehicle. The uh, instructor is sitting in the passenger seat, and uh, I turn on the car, and, you know, it, it's about a 15, 20-minute long test, and I've got to prove that, that I know how to turn on my turning signal. I know how to switch lanes. I know how to parallel park reverse. Uh, I, I, know, I know all these different things. And I'm thinking to myself, this is just absolutely ridiculous. I've been driving for 10 years. I know how to do all these things. Are you kidding me? Well, about halfway through the test, we were driving through a neighborhood and we got to a school zone. And she then asked me a question that caught me totally off guard, totally surprised me. She said, Mr. Garcia, did, did, you, see, did, did you see that stop sign back there? Now, technically, she should have failed me right then. I mean, it's an automatic failure. You can't get your license, month suspension, come back in one month and see if you can drive again. She should have failed me, okay? I ran a stop sign. I didn't know it. You don't say in that moment, what stop sign were you talking about, right? <laughs> she should have failed me. But, but I got to tell you something, that she was one of the better members at our church. Oh, I'm not above doing that, let me tell you. And she was a really good Christian too, all right? She passed me, and it's a really good thing she didn't fail me because had I failed my driving test and had to call my wife back up and say, hey, you're gonna have to come pick, I actually failed my driving test. That would have only confirmed and affirmed every ounce of criticism Savannah has ever had against my driving in the past, okay? I mean, talk about failure, right? Couldn't hide it. Let me ask you something. What do you do? What do you do when you, when you can't hide your disappointments and failures and regrets and mistakes as easily? What do you do when you just can't sweep it under the rug? You can't just throw it in the closet and hope nobody notices. Where do you go? Right? I think that describes a lot of our stories. I want you to take a look at how Luke describes the moment that Simon Peter made one of the worst mistakes of his entire life. Now understand Luke, there's another biography about Jesus. He was a physician in the first century who interviewed a bunch of eyewitnesses to Jesus. He was so convinced that Jesus really was God and the resurrection did happen. What he did in the first century was he sold his practice and started um, starting churches all across the Mediterranean world because he wanted other people to know about this good news. And, and so here's how Luke said it happened. Then seizing him, Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. And, and so Jesus is about to be put on a fixed trial. He knows what's gonna happen. All right, Simon Peter, you said you were gonna be by Jesus. Where, where are you, buddy? He followed at a distance. Simon, are you... Are you sure? Because just a few hours before at dinner, you were promising to always be by my side. You were going to be with me through thick and thin. You're committed no matter what, and you're at a distance. What's going on? I mean, how did he, how did he end up here? I can't speak for Simon Peter, but I can sure speak for myself. The moments when I followed Jesus at a distance, the thing that gets between me and Jesus the most Two things, guilt and shame, right? Guilt and shame. The times when I've run from God the furthest were because I didn't want to deal with the guilt of my sin because I was, I was too embarrassed. I was maybe too prideful to actually confront it. Some sin, some mistake, some wound from my past, it was ambushing me and I didn't want to deal with it. So, so it was much safer just to follow Jesus at a distance. You've been there before? 
And so ironically, the only place for us to actually discover true hope and healing from the broken parts of our, of our life tends to be the very place that we avoid, tends to be the very person that, that, that we neglect or that we follow at a distance because only through Jesus Christ can we find this hope and healing and, and victory. And so what if, what if the reason why you have maybe been following Jesus at a distance, why you really don't want anything to do with this whole faith thing is because the Jesus that's been created in your mind isn't strong enough, he's just weak and he can't can't deal with some of the stuff that you've been walking through lately. And that Jesus maybe was taught to you and created in your mind 20 years ago. Let's see what happens next in our story. Look at verse four. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And so he called out to them, friends, haven't you got any fish? Jesus knew the answer. No. Yeah, you guys stink, All right. And so Jesus was waiting for, for Simon Peter uh, a- after he had failed miserably here. Okay, so this moment symbolizes when Simon Peter just totally hit rock bottom. All right, didn't get much worse for, for Peter he- here in this moment. And so he not only doesn't catch any fish, but now he comes face to face with the God who had every right to disown him because that's exactly what Peter did to him when, when he needed him most. And so Jesus goes on to Tell the guys out on the boat, hey, if you throw your net on the other side of the boat, you might actually catch some fish. Just listen to me. I think I know what I'm doing. And so that's what they do. They throw their nets on the right side of the boat and they pull in so many fish, okay, that, that John said that they had to drag it from the boat behind them. They couldn't even pull it inside the boat. John said they caught 153 fish. Can you believe that? And so Peter, knowing that, that Jesus is on the, on the shoreline, he just can't contain himself any further. Look at what he does next in verse 7. He wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. Right, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. Isn't that nice of Simon? Hey, you guys do the hard work. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go swimming and go meet Jesus. For they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. We read, Simon Peter can't contain himself. He, he, he was so tired of living in disappointment, uh, of, of the, the reality of regret from his past being weighing on him, his shame. He, he was so tired of carrying it around that he couldn't help but just jump out of the boat and swim to the shore so that he could finally, so he could finally have a conversation with, with Jesus. And, and so as he makes his way up out of water, he, he finds himself around a campfire and he's standing right before the one. As he looked into his eyes, he saw on his forehead, I imagine, Marks from where the Roman soldiers forced a crown of thorns upon his head. He's standing right beside the one who had a gash right here in his side. And, and maybe it was a little bit cold that morning. And so Simon Peter stuck out his hands above the fire like what we do when we go camping. And, and he's trying to warm his hands. Jesus follows suit. And then Jesus puts his hands out. And, and as he does that, he sees down some holes right there in his hands where the Roman soldiers nailed Jesus to the cross. He was dead, but now he's alive everything's changed. Now, what's most amazing and most astounding about this scene right here, it, and you can miss it very easily, but, but it's what Jesus doesn't say. It's, it's what Peter doesn't hear when he has this face-to-face confrontation, okay? Because Jesus doesn't say, Peter, all right, Peter, finally, I'm, I'm just gonna let you have it. I mean, how, how could you? Peter, I mean, what, what a failure you are. What, what a disappointment you are. I mean, did I not say that this was going to happen? I mean, well, where's your integrity? Where's your character, huh? I mean, you say one thing, you, you do another. I mean, I'm just disgusted with you. Go back out on the boat. Okay, I, I don't want any... Not what Jesus says. And some of you think, well, that, that's what I think Jesus... No, he's not. 
Check out what we read next. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? More than what? Well, scholars debate about what Jesus was actually comparing the love to, and so we don't really know exactly what that is, but then Jesus proceeds to ask, uh, to ask Simon Peter three different times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Now, that was Jesus' way of acknowledging, hey, I know you screwed up three different times, you disowned me three different times, and so this is not Jesus being insecure about, hey, I need some affirmation here, I need to know that, that, that we're good, okay? Tell me how great, it. That, that's not what Jesus is doing. No, he's asking Simon Peter, do you love me? so that Peter could actually begin to believe it himself, so that Peter could actually put himself in Jesus' shoes and start to see himself for how Jesus saw him. This was all for for Simon Peter's benefit. This was all for for his good. And then Jesus, all right, blows Peter away. If, If he isn't already astounded yet at this point, Jesus then said, okay, you you love me. I hear you. I believe you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to take care of my people, Peter. All right, I'm gonna entrust this responsibility of you, okay? I'm counting on you because I'm gonna count on you to, to, to not only start the greatest movement the world has ever seen, the most unstoppable force that the world will, will ever know and will ever experience, okay? But I'm actually gonna entrust millions, if not billions and billions of, of lives into your care because you know what? You are worthy of this responsibility. Simon Peter, you are a good man. That moment, what happened, whatever took place, whenever I was arrested and, and you followed me at a distance, that, that doesn't define you. You aren't just your worst moment. No, you're a good man. I know you're a man of integrity. I know you're a man of character. Feed my sheep. Take care of my people. If I'm Peter, I'm thinking, no, I'm the screw up. I'm the failure. I'm the just, you surely don't mean me, right? Not me. There's no way I can be entrusted with this responsibility. But you see, here's the thing. And here's what Easter's really about for you and me, Okay. If you don't hear anything else, hear this, that, that Jesus, Jesus sees you for who you are becoming rather than who you currently are. All right, Jesus sees you for, for your potential more than he sees your past. What if Jesus isn't done with you yet? You see, he defeated death so that our failures and disappointments wouldn't defeat us. And there was a moment, a couple days later after this, that Peter would realize the, the significance of this reset that had taken place in his life. Because Peter then found himself in the city of Jerusalem. Thousands upon thousands of people are, are there. And all of a sudden, Peter just stands up and starts talking about this Jesus guy. And, and that's the start of the church, the, the greatest movement the world has ever seen, the most unstoppable force. And, and it all happened because Peter embraced this reset. He refused to believe the lies that kept repeating over and over again in his mind. He saw himself for, for who Jesus saw him, how Jesus accepted him, rather than how he saw himself, okay? He was able to move on. And so let, let, let's land the plane, let, let's connect the dots here, okay? A lot of us walk in here and you you got a list of things you're not proud of. I don't know what's on that list, but on that list might be some things that that you did, that one night stand, what happened there in college, uh, when you were at that frat party or uh, first marriage, whatever that is. You've got some things on your list that, that you 
you try really hard to make sure nobody sees. Maybe it wasn't something that you did. Maybe it was something that was done to you. You were a victim. You, you just happened to be there. You didn't mean to be, okay? But, but you go through, you go to great lengths to make sure that nobody sees that list. You, you try at all costs to keep that list hidden as much as possible. But if you're really honest with yourself right now, that list is starting to weigh on you, right? It's heavy. It's a burden. I mean, it, it takes a lot to carry that, that shame and that guilt and, and those disappointments and failures around each and every day. It's one of the first things you think of in the morning. It's what you think defines you. What if it didn't have to? All right, I'm, I'm gonna throw a statement out there, okay? And by me making this statement, I'm gonna make an assumption about you. All right, it's just a theory, but you know what? I'm right, Okay. Here's what Easter can mean to you. Jesus hasn't given up on you even if you've given up on him. Jesus hasn't given up on you even if you've given up on him. So two women named Mary, Mary Magdalene, showed up at Jesus' grave on a sunny morning. They expected to see a lifeless body. They they expected death. They expected grief. they, they braced themselves for the worst, but instead they were told he is risen. Instead they met victory. Instead they were told, hey, he's alive. And so the very last words of Jesus when he, when he hung upon the cross was, it is finished. In the first century world, that, that literally meant, hey, it's paid in full. And so when Jesus said that, when Jesus said that, he was saying, hey, every ounce of guilt, every ounce of shame, every ounce of insecurity or fear, disappointment, failure, whatever it is that you bring to the table, I've, I'm paying for it. It's almost, it's almost about to be paid in full. This was a debt collector's term, to tell us die, okay? It, it meant paid in full. The debt is done, it is over with. Jesus was saying, I've carried it for you. Right now, in this moment, as I'm about to breathe my last breath, I, I am taking on your punishment for you. And three days later, he came back to life proving, hey, you know what? He's trustworthy. He is who he said he is because honestly, following a dead guy isn't worth following. But somebody who crashed his funeral, I'm with him, whatever he says. This past week, you maybe saw on the news, a, um, a French police officer made international headlines about 10 days ago. A gunman arrived at a supermarket in South France and started opening fire and he ended up taking a group of people hostage there in the supermarket. And when the authorities were notified about the situation, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, is about 45, 47 years old, Arnold Beltram was the first to arrive on the scene and he quickly assessed the situation. He saw what was happening. He knew that there was a hostage crisis taking place and, and as he assessed the situation, he saw that there was a woman inside there who just looked really vulnerable. She shouldn't have been, it just was wrong place, wrong time, yet now, now she's a hostage. I don't know exactly how, how it happened. The details are a little bit fuzzy, but through the course of some events and negotiations, Beltram, the, this lieutenant colonel in the police force, actually was able to, to walk in and exchange himself for her. He basically was able to tell the gunman, hey, I'll give myself to you if you let her free. And, and so as this exchange was taking place, okay, as this exchange was taking place, the, the gunman just... Frantic, he got scared, he took his weapon, fired a couple shots, one of the bullets ended up going right through Beltram's neck, all right? He ended up bleeding out in a couple seconds and died just a few, a few moments later. But that woman's free. She's alive. What if right now, and what if this Easter, 
you actually started to realize that, you know what, my, my life, it, it, feel, it feels like I've been taken hostage. It, it, it feels like I've been the victim of, of some things I've done, right? maybe some things have been done to me. It, I mean, I, I shouldn't have been there, but it happened. I just feel this weight that, that's suppressing me. I feel enslaved. I, I just feel it coming down upon me, the guilt, the shame. It's just too much for me to handle. Maybe you're here right now, and this is just your, your last resort to show up at church because the voices from your past are just so haunting. They seem to be so real that you just can't get over them. And, and you know what? Jesus, 2,000 years ago, he recognized the hostage situation that we found ourselves in. And so do you know what he did? He didn't just run from the scene. No, he said, you know what? Let me take your place. My life for your life. So you've got, you've got a couple options before you. Right now, you, you can remain a hostage. You can remain a victim. Or you can take Jesus up on his offer and let him take your place because he already did. The ball's in your court. Do you want to walk away free? Are you ready for a reset in life? Are you ready to give Jesus another shot, another chance? All right, I, I'm going, I, I don't know. I got a lot of questions. I got a lot of doubts. Some things in the Bible just don't make sense. And yeah, I had this experience at church in my past, and it, it, I, I don't know if I can get over that yet. Jesus is saying, look, don't, don't worry about all that. Well, what about that one night in college? What about that one night stand? What about the deal? I know about all that. And you know what, there's nothing you can do that's bigger than the cross of Jesus. Because if there was something that that was bigger than the cross, you're inadvertently saying, you know what, what I bring to the table is stronger, is greater than a power that was able to bring a dead body back to life. There's nothing we can do that is bigger than the cross of Jesus. There's no mess that Jesus is not willing to clean up. But the question is, will you receive this and will you respond? God is calling you right now, if you have not made this decision, to receive this good news, to take Jesus' offer on becoming your substitute in this hostage crisis so that you can walk away free, so that you can have a second chance, so that, so that you can live a, a, a blameless life, and so that your past doesn't have to determine or dictate your future anymore, but the ball's in your court, okay? And so some of us, in just a few minutes, we need to respond to this. How are you gonna respond? Well, I don't know, a couple different ways. Maybe you have a conversation with God, a first-time conversation, maybe a conversation with him that you haven't had in a really long time. That could be a good start. Maybe you want to talk with one of our pastors here or a volunteer, one of our section hosts been trained to, to just come alongside you and say, hey, you're, you're not alone in this. Or, or maybe today's the day when you say, hey, I'm, I'm going to be baptized. We've had several people baptized this weekend because baptism in the Bible is that way of saying, okay, I, I'm walking out of this mess and, and I'm claiming this reset that I need. Uh, I'm I'm now, I'm now a part of what Jesus said is right and true, and my identity is in him and him alone. I, I, I need this fresh start. I need this new beginning. That's what baptism represents. I don't know what your next step is, okay, but I want you to think about it and just say, God, what do you want me to do? If you're real, show up right now. What, talk to me. We're going to watch a video right now of a couple, Jason and Sam Brandon, our church, who just open their heart up and say, hey, Here's how Jesus didn't give up on us even when he should have. Check this video out as you think through this decision, okay? I was out in the driveway with the kids and Jason was on his way home and uh, my heart was racing just knowing that when he got home we were gonna have this serious conversation. I was thinking this could be the end of us. I had found my identity in who the world said I was. 
and that was, you know, who I was as a business professional. Um, it was a, a bigger house, a newer car. I was raised to be independent, um, so a lot of times I would make it him feel like he didn't wasn't needed. I didn't feel appreciated. I didn't feel respected. But with my personality, I never voiced that to her. I felt this huge distance between us. I could tell that something wasn't quite right, and I didn't really know what it was. I thought it was me. I had started to have an emotional affair with someone and didn't realize what was happening. And that eventually actually led to a physical affair. I was consumed with guilt and shame, and I knew that if I had told her that that would be the end of our marriage, sessions I just knew that there had been more to this so I called him she just told me that we would talk when I got home at that moment I knew that she knew what I had done I uh, immediately confronted him as he got out of the out of the truck he had told me at that point that he had had an affair and uh, all these emotions just ran all over me I didn't know what to do with them that something needed to change and we didn't want to go back to the way it was because we knew that that wasn't going to work. That next week we just started attending Crossroads. So we started reading our Bible and going to church. Yeah, and then shortly after that, uh, my mentor in banking gave me the book, What is the Gospel? And it just started really clearly um, show us what a relationship with Jesus looked like. Between reading the book and the Christian counselor and Sam eventually forgiving me, the weight just eventually just disappeared. I knew that I had been forgiven, that my wife had forgiven me, that God had forgiven me, and that I was, I was free. God led us into ministry with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And we moved to a much smaller home. Um, half the size. <laughs> Sold half of our stuff. Yeah, and so, and we left what was comfortable to us mm -hmm. to pursue what God had been calling us. And that was a hard thing to do, to be obedient. Um, but going into it, we knew that God was faithful and that He was ultimately the one that was going to take care of us. I was on my way to church one day to serve in the nursery. And uh, driving there, I had this one, this moment where I thought, wow, you know, I can't believe that I was able to forgive Him like that. And the Lord did not let me sit in that selfishness and pride that I had at that moment. He immediately rebuked me saying, the only reason you were able to forgive Him was because I forgave you first. Second Corinthians 5, 17 to 20 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That is our prayer for you. Jesus paid the price and he's waiting for you. Repent and receive his forgiveness. Okay, so here, here's what we're gonna do. This is a moment of truth. This can be a turning point for, for many of us, all right? You've come in here and maybe, maybe you didn't expect this to happen, but you, you kind of hear a whisper going over and over again in your mind and it's God saying, hey, I, I can take your guilt, I can take your sin, I can take your shame, I can, I can take your mistakes, your failure, all that. Are you tired of carrying it around? Do, do, you, do you want to reset? Do you want a new life? Do you want a fresh start? Do you want a new beginning? Or are you ready for, for your future to not be determined or dictated by your past? Do, do you want a better identity? Follow me. Believe, trust. And so what, what I'm gonna do is, is I'm gonna pray, okay? And uh, as I pray, what, what I wanna encourage you to do is I want you to make this prayer your own. I can't pray for you, okay? I can't make this decision for you as much as I'd like to. You can't make this decision for your children or, or for your mom or dad or, or your friend, whoever it is that you brought with you. That This is a decision that, that you must own. It's a decision that you must make because it's upon you to say, okay, I, I've received this fresh start. I've received this reset. It, it's what I need, it's what I want. And, and I don't understand everything. I still got a lot of questions. Some things really don't make sense to me. Some things don't add up, but I, I'm willing to take a step and Jesus, will, will you meet me here? So I want you to go ahead and close your eyes. Everybody right now listening to my voice, you're watching online at one of our overflow venues, maybe you're at Crossroads West right now, go ahead and close your eyes, bow your heads, okay? And if you wanna reset and you say, today is the day that the Jesus, I'm choosing to trust that you are God, that you are who you say you are, and as best as I know how, I'm gonna follow you from this day forward. What I want you to do right now, with every eye closed, I want you just to put your hand up in the air, okay? Go ahead and put your hand up. I see you. Yeah, keep your hand up, it's awesome. This is your way of declaring, I need a reset, I need a fresh start, I need a new beginning. And by you putting your hand up, you're letting us know as a church that that we, we're gonna come alongside you. You're not in this alone. You're not in this by yourself. I, I see the hands. Come on, this is, this, is, this is where eternities are at stake. Your, your life can be changed forever. I see you, thanks. You can go ahead and put your hands down. Let's pray. Jesus, I've blown it big time. I've given you a lot of reasons to give up on me. I've given you a lot of reasons to disown me. And yet I don't know what's happening right now in this moment, but, but I just, best way I know how to describe it is I feel like you're, you're pursuing me. I feel like you're telling me I've paid for, for what you keep trying to deal with yourself. And, and if we personally, God, could reset our own lives, if we could somehow undo our past, we already would be there, but, but it's exhausting 
try to save ourselves. And so our only hope, my only hope, Jesus, is in, is in you. And I acknowledge that right now. And so from this day forward, Jesus, would, would you teach me to turn from my sin? Would you teach me to keep my eyes on you through, through thick and thin? And, and would you help me to see who, who I'm becoming more than who I maybe am right now or more than I have been in the past? Would you help me see my potential? I want to follow you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.